Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Specials, the Dark Knight Rises Special. I am your host Dustin and today I have with me... This is Donovan. This is Melinda. This is Stella. And joining us is a longtime TBU fan as well as a participant in a lot of the viral marketing campaigns, the real comic dude, Sean. How are you doing, Sean? Not bad. How are you guys doing? Alright, so... We are here to talk about The Dark Knight Rises. Now, you may be asking yourself why this is coming out two weeks after the fact, um, instead of a week after, or even the same weekend of. And there's a specific, there's a couple specific reasons. The very first reason is um, a lot of us saw the movie multiple times, and not all of us could see the movie multiple times in that first weekend. Um, I've seen the movie three times at the point of us recording this podcast, and I'm probably going to see it at least two more times before it ends its run in the theaters, um, as well as um, a number of the people here have also obviously seen the movie more than once as well. So because of that, we wanted to give everybody an opportunity to watch the movie more than once and not have to get out into the theater that first week and it was out. The other... The other um, unfortunate side is uh, we we really didn't talk about this on the on the uh, website, and we aren't really going to talk about it at length here. But uh, the tragedy that happened in Colorado at the midnight showing for The Dark Knight Rises. Um, first off, our thoughts and prayers go out to all Bat fans in uh, the Aurora, Colorado area, and throughout obviously the world dealing with this tragedy. But uh, we wanted to hold off on uh, talking about the movie and releasing this until a little bit of time had passed from that tragedy that struck. And that's all we're going to say on that regard. But we're going to talk about the movie, and the movie deserves a lot of talk because oh, yes. it's the final Chris Nolan film, it's the final piece of the trilogy, and there was a lot that happened, and there was a lot of things that we liked, and there was a couple things that we didn't like. So... First off, we're going to talk about the actual story. So, I, I don't have. I, I'm sure I don't have to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Now, this this podcast is going to be spo- spoiler chock full. So, uh, definitely, uh, if you haven't seen the film, I'm not real sure how you got to find out about this podcast if you haven't seen the film. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we're going to dive into everything and anything that happened in the film. So, spoiler warning right up front. Um, and I'm not going to say it again because it's, it's a special related to the movie. So with that, let's go over the story. So the, so the beginning of the movie starts off eight years after the events of what happened in The Dark Knight. Um, Jim Gordon is basically um, dealing with the cover-up that happened with Harvey Dent, and really it's taking a toll, it's, it's taking a toll on him as he feels really guilty about it. Um, at the same time, Batman's disappeared from Gotham. Bruce Wayne's also become a recluse himself, locking himself in the newly built Wayne Manor. Um, Wayne Enterprises is crumbling after he invested a crap ton of money into a clean energy project, only to shut it down because it was uh, the, the same exact project was linked to a possible nuclear weapon, and Bruce didn't want it to fall in the wrong hands. Um, Meanwhile, we have a new cat burglar on the scene, Selena Kyle, um, who is, you know, robbing the rich here and there, but she's not, you know, she's, she's playing like a Robin Hood character. Um, and then as the movie pr- proceeds on, we find a character named John Blake. He's a beat cop, as they said, 
but the B cop is a little bit smarter than everyone else seems to realize because he deduced that uh, Bruce Wayne is actually Batman, confronts Batman, uh, well, confronts Bruce Wayne and tells him after Commissioner Gordon was uh, taken down into the sewers because of a villain known as Bane, um, the the actual or Jim Gordon is actually uh, injured and is in the hospital. Blake goes and sees Bruce and says, we need Batman back because uh, Bane, this character Bane, is is more powerful than uh, the police can handle. And uh, then, skip a little bit ahead, Batman returns, um, ends up uh, kind of having a showdown with the police. After he has a showdown with the police and the police are unsuccessful in capturing him, we also see the reveal of Batman's new vehicle known as the Bat, which is a flying vehicle. Um, after that, uh, Bruce Wayne comes across Selina Kyle and works out a deal to try to find Bane um, because he specifically wants to take down Bane as, as swiftly and quickly as possible. Selina actually betrays Batman by, by uh, leading Batman to a trap that Bane has planted to save her own skin, and uh, Bane ends up injuring Batman by taking him and smashing him over his knee. Uh, we then cut to the future, a little bit into the future, where Bruce Wayne is locked up into a prison, which we can only assume is in a third world country, where the only way to get out is to climb out of the prison. Um, by a hole that's in the ground, but uh, there's only a legend of one other person ever doing it. In addition to that, back in Gotham City, uh, Bane is basically taking control of the city by blowing all of the bridges leading into the city, as well as making Gotham realize that uh, their city is now under his control by killing the mayor and a number of other high-profile people and also attempting to kill James Gordon. Um, that doesn't work. And uh, all the police officers are actually stuck in the bottom of, uh, stuck in the sewers, and they were actually st stuck inside based off of uh, a tip that Bane was in there and Gordon telling them that they needed to get all of the police into the sewers to find Bane. When this all happens, uh, with the police officers stuck below, Gotham City is uh, introduced to Bane, and Bane says that he has a nuclear weapon, a citizen of Gotham City has the detonator, and the detonator will be, or it will be detonated depending on whether or not that person wants to detonate it. He then proceeds to tell them that, uh, he then the next day explains to them that the entire cover-up of Harvey Dent was um, a massive cover-up, and because of that, he blows open Blackgate Penitentiary, which is housing all of the criminals that the Harvey Dent Act put away, and all of the... Um, Prisoners are let loose and end up attacking um, a lot of the rich citizens within Gotham City. Meanwhile, the U.S. government has realized that there's not really a whole lot of alternatives other than to just deal with what Bane is doing and hope that uh, time will progress and they'll be able to get some people inside. They actually attempt to get some people inside, only to have them killed and their bodies strung up on one of the bridges. In addition to that, back at the... Uh, the prison in the third world country, Bruce Wayne finds out that one of his vertebrae is out of place and there's a doctor with inside of the prison who actually helps him put it back in place and Batman starts training profusely to get back to not only get out of the prison but to beat Bane. Back in Gotham, Gotham is in an upheaval, uh, complete revolution. The police are um, 
there's very few police that are above ground, and a lot of them have gone into hiding. Um, they come to find out that the uh, nuclear weapon that Bain has, which was that fusion reactor that uh, Bruce Wayne invested in so long ago, um, is actually decaying and it will eventually explode within a specific time frame. Um, back at the prison, Batman, or Bruce Wayne ends up, after numerous attempts, um, he ends up actually escaping the prison. And when he escapes, he returns to Gotham uh, within less than 24 hours before the uh, nuclear weapon is set to explode. Um, he meets up with Lucius Fox, um, instills faith back into Gotham City by um, lighting a giant bat signal on top of one of the... the uh, well, I should say burning a giant bat signal on top of one of the bridges in Gotham. Um, the next day, all of the police have gotten out of the um, sewers, and they are headed towards City Hall to face off against Bane's mercenaries and as well as the prisoners with that are from Blackgate Penitentiary. Um, from there, Batman appears, and uh, the all-out war between the mercenaries and the police takes place. Batman and Bane have it out. Um, Batman, um, using the information that he gained from the prison, realized that uh, Bane's mask is his weakness, um, takes advantage of that, and uh, Bane is, is taken over by the pain because his mask is uh, detached and some of the uh, anesthesiast anesthesiacs that are uh, preventing the pain from going through his body are, are you know not getting there because the, the mask is broken as Batman is actually uh, taking Bane out and telling him it's all over it's all over and asking him where the detonator is he gets stabbed in the side by Miranda Tate who reveals herself as Talia al Ghul <gasps> as she, after she reveals herself she says that she was actually the child that uh climbed out of the prison in the third world country years ago and uh, explains that Bane was her protector when she was there and uh, the prisoners beat the heck out of Bane after she escaped and because of that that is why he's wearing the mask she then proceeds to say that she's trying to she's going to carry out her father's uh, her father's mission by eliminating Gotham City completely then leaves as Batman uh, is about to be shot in the face by Bane, Catwoman appears, um, who's, who uh, had the chance to escape from Gotham City but didn't, deciding to come back and help Batman out. She takes Bane out uh, with a couple shots from uh, the cannons on the front of the Batpod. They proceed to, to team up together to try to take down Talia and the nuclear device. Um, the nuclear device is being... They're trying to focus the nuclear device back towards um, the reactor so they can connect it so that it doesn't explode on its own. As they do this, um, as they do this, they realize that there's not a lot of time... There's not enough time to do this, and um, Batman ends up chaining the nuclear device to the bat, the flying vehicle reveals to Commissioner Gordon who he actually is, and then uh, tells, kisses Catwoman and sails off towards the uh, the sunset, without actually the sunset being there. I just wanted to say that. Uh, sails, sails, or, uh, flies out towards the sunset with the nuclear device tra uh, attached to the bat. We are... Uh, and then it explodes. The nuclear device explodes, engulfing the bat and Batman inside of it. Um, we cut back to... 
present time where Bane and all of the mercenaries have, you know, either put under arrest. Talia Ghul is now dead because of the crash um, from when she was being chased by Batman and Catwoman. Um, and Gotham returns to somewhat of an order, but Bruce Wayne is dead as those people who knew who Batman was, John Blake, Commissioner Gordon, Alfred, Lucius Fox, they all return to... Uh, pay their last respects to Bruce as his, uh, at his funeral, but it's only those people who attend his funeral. Um, then we see a statue of Batman that's uh, revealed at the City Hall, um, and then we have uh, a couple other things. We have the reading of the will um, from uh, Bruce Wayne, and the one thing that I didn't mention was that there was a very important part of the movie which plays into it but not the overall story the bruce wayne ends up losing all his money he is reduced to the 99 percent compared to the one percent has no money um so when they're reading his will they're divvying the things up alfred has left everything the character john blake has left a backpack with a, a gps which leads him to a waterfall after he goes inside he finds the back cave leading us to believe that he could be, in fact, the symbol of Batman without, because Batman is a symbol, not a person. And what's his real name? Uh, his, his, real, <laughs> his real legal name is Robin. <laughs> awesome. And the, the final scene that we see is Alfred in Florence on vacation, which we saw earlier in the movie, as Alfred told... Bruce earlier in the movie that he doesn't he didn't he never wanted Batman he never wanted Bruce to return to Gotham City after he disappeared for all those years he was hoping that he just went off and did something else because all that Gotham would ever bring him would be you know pain and sorrow and he also revealed to him that um, that Rachel Dawes had every intention to leave Bruce for Harvey Dent and to be with Harvey Dent to which Bruce then says that they can never be friends but then at the end of the film, we see Alfred in Florence on vacation. As he's taking a drink, he looks over across the table. And who does he see? None other than Bruce Wayne. And sitting across from him is Selena Kyle. So it looks like Bruce Wayne didn't die after all. All right, so that was basically the movie. Bruce Wayne doesn't die, and all of those horrible rumors out there that said everyone and their brother was going to die, well, <laughs> they were wrong. Um, I have to say the... Uh, the Miranda Tate Talia Ghoul thing, even though um, we didn't, we were told over and over again by everyone involved with the actual project that that wasn't actually going to happen. It did happen, um, and it proves that there's very, very little secrets that you can keep in a Hollywood movie. But besides that, I'm going to leave everybody else to talk about the story first, since I summarized the movie, and then everyone, and then after everyone talks about uh, the story itself. We'll talk about the comics after I give my my two pieces on the actual story. All right, well, I suppose I'll head up this one. Um, this just real quick. I really, really, really enjoy the movie, uh, as Dustin said we would. Um, and to talk about the story, I think that uh, while I did love the movie, it does have a few caveats that does kind of prevent it from being the best out of the trilogy. But I, th I think a few flaws might make it the weakest out of the trilogy. But all that being said, I, I, it doesn't really impact it too much because I still love the heck out of it. Um, 
what was readily apparent to me, I know we'll get into this later on, was that like just right up front when we first see how Gotham is eight years later, there's this huge overtone of Dark Knight Returns. You know, you have Bruce Wayne. He's not Batman. He's basically, you know, on a downward spiral. And as Alfred says, he's he almost wants something bad to happen to, for an excuse to, for him to be Batman again, even though he quit because uh, the mob was finished and Rachel had died. But there's this big, there's this big uh, sense that like he 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 just wants to jump back in there again, and it doesn't take him very long to do so. I was actually surprised how quickly he became Batman again, all things considered. Um, and of course, you have the nightfall, the obvious nightfall parallels with Bane, um, basically beating the, beating the crap out of him and uh, uh, seemingly breaking his back. Although he just pops his vertebrae, but he's good enough. And um, I was surprised. I, I didn't think that, like, it would turn into No Man's Land as much as it did in the third act, or the second and third act. I really was surprised how far they went with that, and um, pleasantly surprised, because it's a good story. Um, I remember someone one time told me uh, they thought they didn't like the fact that, like, they borrowed from these big Batman stories, because it, it shows kind of a, a bare knowledge of the character going up through, like, the biggest stories. But I think that, like, the biggest stories are always the best kinds of stories. And I think if you're going to tell a Batman story... For a movie, Night of All, The Dark Knight Returns, and No Man's Land would be great for it. So I thought it was great. Um, I I enjoyed most of the twists. I loved. I absolutely loved the ending. That one had me smiling the entire time. Um, the only twist I thought was wasn't that that much of a twist was Taya one. And the only reason I didn't think she was Taya was because they did come out and say that she absolutely wasn't. But even then, I, I knew that, that Miranda Tate wasn't as good as she seemed. It was very Jezebel Jet-esque. Uh, but when she said the name Taya, I, I did gasp and squeeze my brother's chest. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 I enjoyed Shipper. it. Shipper! Oh, no. <laughs> but um, I, it, was, it was fun. It was, it was, I mean, there were some differences and there were some, there were some flaws in the storytelling. I mean, I think everybody on the Internet has asked how exactly did Bruce Wayne go from, you know, some pit in the Middle East to Gotham in, like, 21 hours. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of those things don't really bother me. And um, I thought this story was an epic way to, to end the series. Although I like how it ended because it wasn't a definite end. It was, like, a pretty definitive end, but there still could be more, even though there won't be. You know, it, it didn't close things out like he was 80 years old and missing an arm or anything. So I, I, I thought overall the story was pretty great. Um. Like Donovan, I really, really, really enjoyed the movie. I thought the story was something that, I mean, I appreciated it the first time I saw it, but watching it the second time, I was able to see, like Sean said, little things that were telegraphed in. Um, so the Talia reveal, for example, I knew going in because we knew a small child played Miranda Tate's younger self. Well, there was only one small child in this whole movie that we didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl and it was the child in the prison. So I was, I was a little let down by that reveal. I thought they could have done it in a bigger way, but I loved, loved that they had her actually literally stabbing Batman in the back. <laughs> that, that was the best way to reveal that part. Pretty awesome. Um, but the, the final scene, like, Donovan might have been smiling through it the whole time. I was just bawling my eyes out. I've, I've cried every time I've watched this movie, even though I know what I'm seeing. But m more than anything else, I liked the pacing of this movie. It did not drag anywhere. Um, and for such a long movie, I think that's a really great accomplishment. And that, that speaks really well to the writing of it. And I think that... The ending of this, well, yes, it's the ending of Christopher Nolan, but it ends on such a positive, hopeful note that it didn't sadden me that it was the end. 
Um, you know, I always talk about sort of ring compositions when we're doing comics, if it's if it makes sense. Because in literature, I think the best works really have this ring composition where the end goes back to the beginning, and that's one of the things that I absolutely love about this movie uh, is that there are so many ties to Batman Begins uh, and ties as well to The Dark Knight. I mean, when he's climbing up the well, you've got uh, the bats coming out. Um, and one of my smart friends said, you know, that's a real, like a real tie to fear and going back to the beginning when he was with Raish, um, and just like he had to be there with that fear level in order to make that weep. And of course, you know, with Blake rising at the end, you have that same, um, scene where the the bats are flying around them. So little things like that. And of course there are more, but I don't want to go into everything. Uh, I absolutely love the movie. I loved uh, Spider-Man. I'm sure we can't, you know, say that about that because, and I think, but I love this movie for a completely different reason because I think it resonates on so many different levels. It's not only like a heroic movie, but it's really emotional and impactful. And it, it's it's just so deep, and, and I love it for that reason. I disagree slightly with Melinda. I think that the beginning, and this was, I think, probably my main issue with it, the beginning was slow. Uh, just like setting up everything, I guess, just mainly the exposition. And then it starts to pick up once, you know, he kind of, you hear the crack of the cartilage in his knee. I think that's sort of when it all starts to come together. And, uh, man, it's like one punch after another. Um, The ending, yeah, I I didn't ball, but I was certainly tearing up. And it all started with, with the quote that he said, Anyone can be a hero, uh, even someone, you know, putting a coat around a small boy uh, to let him know that someone's there. I mean, that's not a direct quote, but, you know, just showing that, hey, Gordon was a hero to him and, and seeing him go off in the sunset. And I try to stay away from spoilers. So I guess it's good I'm not on the regular cast, so I didn't know about someone playing Miranda Tate's younger self. And... You know, so I was completely taken away. I thought, oh, gosh, Batman really is dead. So I loved every bit of the ending. Um, I was sad on two moments. I guess it goes with the the whole story. But the first thing, I didn't like Alfred walking away from him. And I know that, you know, we'll talk about this later, but it's happened in the comics at least twice before. But I think in terms of Nolan and what he was doing in this film franchise where Alfred was with him from the very beginning. And if he had so, so many problems with what was going on, I think it would have popped up in the first movie. And I think he would have been so against this Batman to begin with. And then all of a sudden it comes out here. And I mean, he uses Rachel against Batman. It seemed like a really sort of vindictive thing to do. And I guess that was like the last ditch effort to really get him to turn away. But I just don't think in terms of these movies that Alfred would have done that and he would have been with him in the end. And he says, you know, I promised you when he was talking to the graves, Martha and Thomas, I promised you I'd take care of him and I failed. And yes, he failed, but he did that of his own volition. It's not like he was with him to the end and then Bruce died. Obviously, that was against... That's something he couldn't control, but he walked away from it. So that was something I didn't like. The other thing was sort of the the vilifying of Jim Gordon. That sort of hit me hard. Um, I mean, that was a tough thing for him to do anyways, to do this lie. And you see probably his wife walked away from him 
that was probably one of the main reasons he did that. But just the way that Blake turns against Gordon so quickly and without sort of assuming good intent on behalf of Gordon, obviously there's a deeper story. You can't just say that Gordon did this, you know, for some sort of terrible reason. He lied about it all. So those were the two things that bothered me, I think. Um, but I guess they go with the storyline. I don't know. We can always discuss that later. But overall, it was it was a great movie. I think it tied up the, the trilogy well. I think that, yeah, we could continue on. Maybe I'll just make the next movie myself and go under the alias Chris Nolan. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear what Sean has to say. I loved it. I've seen it twice so far. Um, uh, overall, the others and some epic things, the... My thing that stood out the most to me was uh, the the time that they gave Lucius Fox on the screen. Uh, I really dug that. Like finally they, they they let him be a character that you thought he would be in the first or second. Well, it kind of wasn't the first one, but not so much in the second one. I like Tom Hardy as being. You didn't hear his voice. I, I I still don't think that's his voice altered at all. I think that's someone totally different. They haven't told us who it is yet. But I really liked him as being mostly with just his facial expressions and uh, the physicality of him. Like. Just him standing in a room, you felt like uh, that's that's not someone you want to be standing close to. I was happy I seen that uh, Donovan put up. There. I was happy to uh, dag it. I was happy they, they threw that in there. They threw a bunch of other stuff in there for the comic book fans that um, for everyone to, to Easter eggs. But um, yeah, overall, I really liked it. Just uh, I wasn't a big fan of the John Blake character like throughout the movie. I, I I know why his arc was there or whatnot, but I don't know. I just maybe I'm just not a fan of Gordon Levitt. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't really have much to add other than what everyone else has said without getting too much into uh, what we're going to talk about later. All right. So my thoughts on the actual story. Um, I mean, overall, it was it was a great story. Um, I there's a couple things that I have to like preface my thoughts on the story by. Obviously, I run the website and I report all the spoilers to a certain degree. I report all the news, so I come across a lot of stuff. And for the most part, I tried to this time around because I was doing the same thing back when The Dark Knight came out with the, just the podcast. I tried this time around to try to stay away from as many spoilers as I can. That being said, I obviously still came across a number of spoilers. One of the things that I came across was um, a picture of Miranda Tate in her Talial Ghoul costume standing on top of the Tumblr when they were filming in Pittsburgh. I can't remember off the top of my head if I posted it on the website or not, but that was the one thing that I knew was eventually going to come up and cemented the fact that she was going to be Talia al Ghul. Um, during the entire prison thing where they were trying, where Bruce was trying to figure out who was the kid who escaped and everyone was saying it was Bane, that entire time I le- legitimately thought it was Bane. I had no idea that it was somebody... Else, I didn't have any idea that, that was Miranda Tate until it was actually revealed. So I, I want to give them props, props for that. But the 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 odd thing about that is, Bane doesn't look that old in present time, and the fact that he was the protector of the this girl, and this girl is clearly somewhere in her thirties, means Bane would have been much older. So that's the only catch that I had was um, was that. Um, because I, to me, it just didn't make that, that the age difference thing didn't make a lot of sense. And I think honestly, in real life, I think Marion Cotillard is actually older than Tom Hardy, which makes it even a little weirder. (laughs) Whoops. But, um, okay. So that put that aside, um, the timing, there was a timing situation throughout the entire movie where, um, 
there it just seemed like there were certain things that were happening way too quick, and then there was other things that where it made complete sense of why it took so much time for it to pass. The very first thing was probably like within the first hour of the movie where we see Bruce Wayne as a recluse walking around with a cane. Um, John Blake comes to him. He's still walking around in a cane. He's not shaved. He's his, his cheeks actually look like they're slightly sunken in. And then he says to Alfred after Blake says uh, that Gordon got injured, he says, I'm going to go to the hospital. It'll be the first time he's gone out in three years. He goes to the hospital. He's suddenly clean-shaven. His cheeks aren't as sunken in. And they basically tell him, your legs are screwed, you can't do anything. Okay, that's fine. Then he has that brace that he puts on his leg. Okay, that explains how he can do what he does without having the cartilage so that he can still do it. But then that same night, he goes out to be Batman. So the only question was, how did he go from being a recluse one day and less than two days later be Batman fully trained back in shape and then the next night after that goes against Bane and not expect to get his rear end handed to him. I, I mean that was the, that was the really the biggest thing that I just could not get wrap my head around. That's that ego thing Alfred was talking about. He has that one speech like look at him like basically like a Rocky and Mick speech. But he was like, look at him, you know, he's so fast, isn't that? You think you can do it. And he's like, I can, I always find a way. It's his ego. You can't win, Rock! This guy will kill you to death inside of three rounds! I have seen that the, that this movie has been compared so many times to uh, Rocky III. <laughs> um, the other thing, um, Bane's voice. I really didn't have any issues with Bane's voice. It really, to me, came across as um, like a Darth Vader voice. Um, there's no way that Tom Hardy was legitimately wearing the mask and they were filming and his voice was being projected out of the mask as that. There's absolutely no way possible. His voice had to be uh, voiced over after the fact, like he sat in and did the voice in in a studio somewhere and then they put it into the film because his voice never felt like it was coming from a specific direction, no matter where he was on screen. It always felt like his voice was just like an omnipresent sound that was there. And I think that that has to do with the fact that it wasn't him talking with the mask on, it was he recorded the voice afterwards. And I do know that it was him doing the voice, so I can get rid of that rumor. He did the he did the voice, and he actually there was a at one of the premieres I want to say it was in London. He uh, actually did the voice spot on for somebody standing there with a the camera. And oh wow. I saw the video, and he just basically changed his voice to sound like something else. And it doesn't he doesn't even have to have the mask on in order to make his voice sound like that. I didn't see that video. I didn't even think it was him. I, I thought it was honestly. I thought it was like a whole other actor that they're gonna tell you later on. Like, oh, it was this guy, Chris Nolan's dad, or something. They called crazy. Yeah, I don't think this is Black Swan though. Um, <laughs> for those get that reference, um, the the pacing of the movie I thought was was really good. Um, I like like I I've seen some complaints online about some of the flashbacks. Well, let me rephrase that. When the movie right before the movie released, Rotten Tomatoes went live with a bunch of the critic critics critiques on their site, and some of the critics that gave it a bad rating were complaining about there was way too many flashbacks. The thing is, if the whole point of this movie is, as Chris Nolan has said numerous, numerous times, is you don't have to see the previous two f- movies to get what's happening in this movie. 
Now, you could just watch this movie and you would be able to understand everything because anything that links back to the previous movies, they show a flashback. So that way, this movie can stand alone by itself without having to be linked to the first two movies. Now, if you've seen the first two movies, which we've all have, if you've seen the first two movies and you see this movie, it just makes it that much better and just reiterates what they're actually hinting on. Um, there was, I mean, there. I thought the story was great. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. At the end of the movie... Um, because one of the other things that I came across was David Letterman telling the world that Batman died <laughs> and going back on it like a minute later after Anne Hathaway told him that the wrath of Chris Nolan was going to come down on him. He took it back, and I legitimately walked into the theater wondering to myself, could they actually kill Batman? Is that, is, is, would Chris Nolan actually kill Batman? Is this how he makes sure that nobody else can mess with Batman? And the entire time... Um, that last, the, the, one of those last scenes where Bruce, or, uh, where Batman is linking up the nuclear device, and he reveals himself to Gordon, and and uh, he kisses Selina, and we know based off of something that happened in the, earlier in the movie that there is no autopilot with this uh, flying device that ba- that Batman has. That he once he goes away, this thing's got a six mile radius. It's gonna blow everything to smithereens. Which means he's basically saying his final goodbyes to these characters. So as he's doing this and he flies off and we see the explosion, I had chills going up and down my spine. I had goosebumps thinking, you've got to be kidding me. They actually killed Batman. <laughs> and I'm getting I'm getting actually the chills thinking about it right now. But uh, it legitimately, I, I seriously thought, you've got to be kidding me. I cannot believe they killed him. And then through all those final montages, scenes where we see um, Bruce Wayne's headstone, we see Alfred crying um, as he confesses to uh, the the Wayne parents, Um, we see the reading of the will, we see the reveal of the Bat statue, the entire time I just could not wrap my head around the fact that you've got to be kidding me, they killed Batman. They freaking killed Batman. And the entire movie they were leading up to the fact that you know, Batman is a symbol, it's not a person. And he, and even every time that Bruce Wayne or Batman was with John Blake, he basically told him that flat out. You know, it's not it's not me who's Batman, it's it's Batman's the symbol that that is that's what's important. Anybody can be Batman. And he said that numerous times throughout the movie to Blake, leading me to believe that Blake could take on the role of Batman or somebody else, but then it also led they also led me on to believe that there's plenty of other ways you could be a hero instead of just being Batman. And that's another thing that Bruce Wayne pointed out numerous times. So because of that, the entire time all those scenes were going, and then they show that John Blake gets that bag, and they said, as soon as he said his real name was Robin, I immediately thought, okay, well, he's going to become some sort of hero. But then, obviously, they, he finds the Batcave, which the Batcave... Just random note, Batcave was awesome. I like the idea of it being a normal cave that you would never know it's anything special until the things rise out of the water. That was cool. Um, but anyway, the the final thing where um, Alfred looks over and sees Bruce Wayne and Selina, and you get that feeling of, like, well, they didn't kill him. But at the same time, like, I don't know. Uh, I'll just say this. 
a lot of people who listen to the podcasts and probably read the stuff on the site know that I'm a very serious person. <laughs> which, means I don't, which means I don't smile very often. <laughs> At the midnight showing of this movie, my wife was there with me and, and my cousin and I had a guy who I work with. They were all there. We were all watching the movie together. At the end of the movie, um, the credits started rolling. I, I turned to my wife and I said, all right, we can go because there's no after the credit scene. And sh- she goes, this is why I came. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, I came and I wanted to see this movie for the first time when you saw it for the first time so I could see the look on your face because I don't even know when that look's going to come back. And... Basically, I, I was I was like a little kid in a candy store. I had a giant smile on my face because I felt completely content with the way the film was. Yes, I have small issues with it, but I felt completely content and extremely pleased with the final version of the film. All right, so with that, let's bring into just some of the comics that it's pulled from. Don has already mentioned Dark Knight Returns, No Man's Land, Nightfall... There was a number of different scenes. As Sean said, there was a number of Easter eggs throughout the entire film that Nolan, and I got, I got to give him props because as much as he, you know, he doesn't bend over backwards for the fanboys, he bent over backwards with these Easter eggs because he didn't need to put the Easter eggs in. He didn't need to have Liam Neeson do a cameo. He didn't need to have Cillian Murphy do a cameo as uh, Scarecrow without the mask. He didn't need to do... Um, you know, have Bane actually take Batman and stick him over his knee. He didn't need to do that, but he did it as kind of like an homage to the fact that this character is in the comics, and as in the comics, the character will go on forever. So, um, let's just talk about some of the other things that popped up as far as Easter eggs linked to the comics go. Well, um, I'll try not to take all the the, the obvious ones, but uh, I'll just kind of go through like my thought process. Um, right away, I mean, if you want to go for, like, the really, really, uh, you know, innocuous, you know, going to the Dark Knight Returns uh, similarities, you know, that, that story talks about with Bruce Wayne retired out of shape uh, with facial hair. He has a mustache. This movie, Bruce Wayne retired out of shape with a mustache and beard. Um, that, was, that was one, which, I mean, it could be coincidence, but that was sort of a similarity. Um, other ones are essentially how just, – just this, I would say – Sort of like, to me, a big thing of these uh, Nolan Batman movies is that they're a lot like the tone of uh, the Jeff Loeb Tim Sale series, like Long Halloween, Dark Victory, Haunted Night, When in Rome. And if you're going to talk about Catwoman, who I kind of halfway expected her to be in one of these movies before she was announced because I think she was sort of a constant of those those stories as well. I would say Selena Kyle, and before I even get into her, she was awesome, but, like, I say, like, her kind of characterization and, like, the way she kind of carried herself, I saw similarities in there. She didn't say any specific line, but, like, her wardrobe, especially when she was in the airplane, or not the airplane, but the airport, and sort of the way she carried herself, a very, like, ambiguous kind of character, I saw similarities there. Um, And going on from Catwoman, the scene where uh, Batman was talking to her and she disappears when he turns around, kind of stealing his move, he says, so that's what that feels like, which is a direct line from uh, Kingdom Come, where uh, Superman does that to Batman, which is cool. I don't know if that was a coincidence or if, it, if someone was reading the comics. Um, again, going back to, like, dialogue, uh, at the beginning where Batman reappears and chasing after the kidnappers, uh, you have the young cop and the old cop in the, in the cop car, the squad car, and the young cop's like, what the? And then the old cop's like, oh, you're in for a show tonight, son. Like, that's, that's, that's right out of Dark Knight Returns, like, you could not get more exact, and I mean, there were other stuff like you know the 
Bane saying "I'll break you," which is you know his basically his catchphrase. But um, to me, it was interesting because this movie out of the entire trilogy felt like somebody had their nose in the comics. Not not just glanced at images online. They were somebody was reading them, and um, it was so apparent to me that I mean that's probably just added my enjoyment because it's so it's so fun. See, like this is the closest we ha- we come to having Batman actually exist. You kind of like, see this embodied in a believable setting, and have the comic book pages kind of come to life this way. So I really enjoyed it. Um, I know there are more, but I don't want to take up too much time. I can't think of anything right now. But uh, those are some ones I think people might not have thought of. Um, the one that Donovan didn't mention that I'm, it struck me this way, but um, the character of Jen, Selena Kyle's sidekick, Juno Templeton her having the blonde female sidekick who may or may not have been a little attracted to her. I'm not really sure what that was, but that, and and like Donovan alluded to earlier, the whole no man's land aspect of it, you know, almost like having the blue boys marching on Bane's gang. I loved that scene and the way it played out and the way it looked from above, from every angle that they shot it. I thought that could have been taken straight out of a comic I mean, uh, Jen was supposed to be uh, Holly Robinson, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was going to bring up. The uh, the Juno Temple character was, to me, almost like a, knowing what we just saw with uh, why well, obviously we know what we saw in Batman Year One, the comic, but Batman Year One, the, the uh, direct-to-video uh, Warner Brothers animation movie that just was released not even a year ago, that movie had... Um, the character of Jen almost in that role. It's almost as if it would have been really interesting if they actually named her Holly. That was one thing because she basically was Holly Robinson from that original Batman Year One story. Um, Some of the other things that that, uh, I I thought was kind of interesting was... um, um, not, not... this isn't like a direct relation, but uh, the the more recent things with Lucius Fox, man, maybe the comics took some more took more liberties based off of what has happened in the movies. But Lucius Fox is like completely enthralled with everything. Now, obviously, he knew he yeah. knows who Batman is based off the last two movies, but he's even more in line with everything that's going on in this movie than the last movie. Like Sean said, how he had a lot more screen time. He knows a lot more about what's going on. He, you know, essentially just shows off some of the new gadgets they have to try to get Bruce more interested in what's going on outside of Wayne Manor. He's a lot more involved. He has a lot more dealings with actual Batman, which just led me to believe some of the stuff that happened during uh, Batman Incorporated when that first came up and after Bruce Wayne revealed that he was funding Batman Incorporated and he was funding Batman... Lucius Fox popped up in the comics a, a lot, dealing with various characters within Batman Incorporated, saying, "Oh yeah, well here's this and here's that, and we're gonna f- we're gonna pay for this, and here's this new gadget here." It just made me think of that, even though it was already established within the movies before that. So it was just another thing that I thought of. Um, overall, I thought Selena Kyle, um, which we'll talk more about in the in the in the actual character section of what we're gonna about to talk about, but I thought. She was she was definitely there was a lot of uh, pulls from Batman Year One. I also saw a lot of pulls from uh, When in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there was a like like Don said a lot of a lot of Catwoman stuff from the the Jeff Loeb Tim Sale stuff. I could see a lot of just I wonder I, I'd be curious to know one of the things I'm always 
interested in knowing is what comics the actual actors read to kind of get in the mind of the character. It's not like they're just they don't they don't have they don't have only a script to read to get inside the mind of a character when it gets to these superhero comic book films they have the opportunity to get into the character even more so based off of the you know for for this instance 70 years plus of this character so they can get into the mind of it so it's interesting to me to know what the, the things were we know well we heard rumors that heath ledger read the killing joke and he read the man who laughs and books like that and that's great, but I'm actually interested in knowing if anybody from this time around read anything and kind of based their character off of anything specific. Because I can definitely see for Anne Hathaway a lot of pull for her character from a lot of that Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale stuff, as well as a little bit of Batman Year One, especially when she's not as the actual cat burglar. Yeah, if I can jump in, too, on the, the comic uh, uh, connection. Yeah, I don't even call her Jen. I mean, that was Holly. That was Holly for sure. All we needed her to say was, Selena, you punched Stan. And we would have had, you know, goldmine right there. I think one of the biggest things for me was seeing Bane Vengeance sort of on the uh, on the big silver screen. And I loved how, I mean, that was Bane's origin right there. You know, you had Santa Prisca, even though they put it in the Middle East. You had, um, I mean, basically... Oh well, there was the, the the relationship between the uh, the woman and somebody. Remember, we were not really sure during Vengeance and uh, in Penance for what the man did. The woman with child had to be sent down, and then the child. But what was great is that they turned it on its head and gave that origin story to Talia. But that is Bane Vengeance, and there's a little bit of Batman Bane of the Demon as well. I mean. The, the relationship between Talia and Bane are, are different um, or is different than in Bane of the Demon, but you still have that relationship um, to the League of Assassins and Raish and everything. All right, so now we're going to roll through some of the, uh, the, the main characters of the film and talk about uh, anything good or bad briefly about each character. So let's start with Christian Bale first. I must have lost my ticket. Your wife said you were taking a cab home. My wife? Don't worry, Master Wayne. Takes a little time to get back in a swing of things. Well, um, I, for one, think that, like, out of all the movies, Christian Bale really, I don't say stepped up, because that means he was, like, lower, but, like, he really did his best job as Bruce Wayne and Batman in this. I thought he was... Absolutely fantastic. I mean, this was sort of a return. I honestly think that in the Dark Knight, he doesn't have much. He has not much to. He's given with. I mean, he does a fine job, but like, there's not much he can really stick his teeth into. Unlike Batman Begins, where he just knocked out of the park. And this, I think, is a little bit more of a return where it's more concentrated. On, he's more of the focus. Is uh, his story is less abstract, like it was in Dark Knight, and like you're following, you're rooting behind him, and all the things he's going with, going through, are really interesting and. Um, I thought he was doing really well. He did well as like the, the Howard's as Howard Hughes-esque recluse in the beginning. Uh, once he came back as Batman, I really do love that. I mean, I know some people think that like uh, the first act is kind of slow. I really do love that first act because it's just Batman doing what he does best. Um, he was more of a detective in this movie than I thought he's has been in the series, which was great. Uh, he used some gadgetry. Uh, he's still, you know, 
kick butt when he wanted to. And I just thought he was he was just fantastic. Has had great lines, um, even if they made me laugh with his voice. But I just thought that like Batman was a real standout of the trilogy here. And um, I commend Christian Bale for giving us probably the best Batman put on screen ever. Thank you very much, sir. Um, like Donovan, I think he probably did his best work in this portion of the trilogy because he's got such a more complex role to play. He's he's dealing with the fact that he doesn't view himself as needed as Batman, but he doesn't really have anything else to fall back on. And, and that gets repeated throughout the movie. He's got nothing to turn to. And you can really see that he's a man adrift, and I think Christian Bale does a really great job of portraying that. And then also portraying... The fact that when he finds his purpose, he actually has to work extremely hard to get to a point where he can fight Bane. And I think he just did a wonderful job showing us that. I guess I can skip on this one. I I fully agree with Melinda just that it is more of a complex character. And I think he had more to work with uh, for this role. And he had less of the Bruce Wayne, I think, aspect. And it was more Batman throughout. I was just going to say, I think... uh... The work that he did between The Dark Knight and this one, the movie that he did, The Fighter and whatnot, it really helped him with uh, Bruce Wayne, especially to be the first act of the movie, the portrayal of Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I would say, overall, Christian Bale had a much more emotional role in this film than he did in The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, as much as it was a Batman story, it was uh, was a lot of a Joker story, with the Joker being the supporting character. But in this movie, it was all about Bruce Wayne and Batman. That's what the movie was about. And in some sense, there was a lot of Bruce Wayne and Batman being one character and not necessarily being two different characters in this film. There wasn't Bruce gallivanting around uh, you know, as a playboy, even though there was that one scene with where somehow he had no problem sleeping with Miranda Tate after not knowing her for very long. Besides that, there wasn't a lot of him gallivanting around as a playboy. And because of that... There was a lot of, um, a lot of him being just the one character, which was his true face, which was Batman. As John Blake pointed out in the movie, the, you know, he he knew when he saw Bruce Wayne that he was hiding something that he he was putting on a mask when he was out in public, and I think that was true. But for the entire movie, I think he was walking around without that mask on his face. That's why he had no problem revealing himself as well to so many different people throughout the film as well. Um, in addition to that, I also thought that um, he did a not only a really great job portraying the characters. The last thing I have about Bruce Wayne is there was one thing that I really, really, really wanted when I walked in to see the film. I really wanted Bruce Wayne or to be. I wanted Bruce Wayne to be in the disguise of Batman. And not do the Batman <laughs> I really, really, really wanted it. And even though he wasn't wearing the Batman cowl, he was wearing that ski mask when he was talking to Gordon. And he was under the, you know, he was under the impression I am Batman. And he's talking to Gordon, but he didn't disguise his voice. And I, when I heard that, I was just like, yes, yes. All right, so let's move on to Tom Hardy. Born and raised in hell on earth. What are you? I'm Gotham's reckoning. Okay, well, well, I'm gonna start with Bane's voice. Um, I've heard. I know some people didn't care for it. Uh, some people called it ludicrous. Some people didn't understand what he was saying. I've always kind of liked the idea of the, how the voice was. Uh, when I first saw the prologue, I don't keep this brief. But when I first saw the prologue, um, I like the idea of it because I like the idea that you, that the voice kind of comes from everywhere, almost like the ethereal voice of God. Like it just it's just almost this intercom kind of voice. 
Although when during the prologue, legitimately half the time I, I honestly did not know what he was saying, and like that was the first thing that I noticed in this movie that they, that they went and redubbed it, and like there's different inflections in some of the things he's saying in the plane scene, but I liked it. I mean, I thought that like it was definitely definitely different, but like it was it, it still. Even though like it, the sound was different, it still sounded like something Bane would say. It was still Bane's voice, if you know what I mean, and that carries on throughout the rest of the film. I thought he was excellent. Probably his, to me, his best two best scenes are when when he's breaking the bat, um, kicking, kicking the crap out of Batman at the beginning or at the end of the first act, and then like when he uh, um, reveals uh, Harvey Dent was Two Face and during reading Gordon's speech like and he says you know like, like like spoils will be enjoyed blood will be spelled this city will endure and like I, I thought that like he sounded really, really he had a lot of conviction and I thought that like I just I thought he was really great in this movie I know a lot of people kind of go back and say oh well he was working with Talia a female that doesn't that's not very good like people oh, don't gosh. like that um, he's um, that he that he ended up working with somebody um, I don't care because it's, it's like because it's like um, it really doesn't delegitimize what he did throughout the movie, and it doesn't really like kind of go back on his personality. It wasn't like he was lying the entire time, and I just thought like he had some really choice lines, um, like we're talking to Daggett saying, uh, "You know, do you feel in charge?" That kind of stuff. So I just thought I thought he was there was another really awesome villain. Um, did he top the Joker? Maybe not, but does it really matter? He was still great on his own. I would disagree. I say he topped the Joker. I think he did, hands down, an amazing job. Um, unlike Donovan, I when I walked into the movie the first time and heard the voice, I thought, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. This sounds like my friend doing an imitation of a guy doing an imitation of the guy from Star Wars. That is honestly what I thought for the first scene. I was like, okay, I can get through this. And by the second scene, it was already, nope, that's Bane's voice. He's crazy, that's him. Um, so it it very quickly grew on me. Um, the physicality of the role, just the way he was able to move and so speedily at being the size he was, because every so often you would, for, you would forget how large he was, and then there would be a certain shot and you'd say, oh, right, he's, he's built like a brick outhouse. There's no taking him down. There was one other thing, the fact that, what Donovan brought up, people saying he was working with a girl, that's not right. No, he's above all else a strategist, and I like that they brought that into this, that they didn't have him working on his own, being some big goon. No, he very carefully planned everything, and and yes, he was working with someone, but it was clearly someone he actually cared about. Well, um, I'm happy that at least they, they I remember Chris Nolan said that they would change or not change the voice. I think that's what it was. But I think at least they turned it up a bit. They amplified it a bit, which I think allowed us to better hear what he was saying because it was a little rough during uh, the prologue. And it was you need to hear everything that he's saying because it is so well done. I love sort of the theatricality, the dramatic nature of, of how he played Bane uh, because some of the things he says and how he does it, it's it's more about like, how it comes across than like actually the words and there is sort of this very over dramatic way that he presents gordon's letter when he does that and kind of bobbling back and forth and and things like that and and it's really about you know how he presents that character um 
And his character, I, I think, is complex as well. He's not only this kind of beat-me-up, uh, like a boss kind of guy. He, you also sort of feel sympathy towards him. Uh, you know, at the end, well, maybe that's just me, but it really reminded me of Star Wars uh, Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, just at the very end with Darth Vader kind of having this ragged breathing, and he's down and out. And there's Bane, and he's like ragged breathing because his mask is all messed up and Tali is sort of putting him back together and he kind of had this moment between the two of them and uh, that was just great. Um, one thing that I really liked that Chris Nolan did something that we sort of saw in uh, Troy, this idea that, I mean, Bane has like this in the comics, he has, you know, this thing going on where he can basically bulk up Venom and everything. And I think what's great about this character of Bane is that no one doesn't make him seem like this unnatural sort of character, this, uh, I don't know, godly possessed or, or just, you know, very comic-y. But you sort of get threads that there is something else going on. Like, you can see track marks down his spinal cord and everything. So, yeah, he's huge. He's larger than life. But you believe that it's all natural. But there's still something sinister sort of lying in between there. And Tom Hardy is just a great actor, so he did a great job. Yeah, briefly, I think Tom Hardy, uh, he crushed it. I mean, which is basically eyebrow expressions and uh, body gestures. He had to get the roll on. And, yeah, like that said, probably overdubbed the voice later on. And he, he got it all across. He was physically imposing in all the scenes you seen him in. Like, he commanded the room like you expect that kind of person to do. And, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. All right, so then my thoughts on Bane, he did a great job. Um... I, I read something, I read a, a couple different things online about how some people were kind of upset that Bane was reduced to a henchman at the end. Bane was never reduced to a henchman. He was just shown to be working with somebody. Nobody said, Bane, you've been working for me all along. Now um, you're going to follow my orders and that's what's going to happen because that really wasn't... Uh, that really didn't happen. I mean, they, she said, you know, he was willing to die for the cause just as much as she was. And she just basically said, I'm going to go make sure that it blows. You stay here and watch Batman because Batman would be the only way that he could be, that she could, that, that she could be stopped. So it was never, he worked for her. I did enjoy greatly the fact that they portrayed him as a very, very, very intelligent person. He wasn't just a brute. He was a brute who was ridiculously intelligent. And that was probably the best thing about the character was the fact that he wasn't, even though he was built, like as Melinda said, like a brick outhouse, he uh, he was extremely smart. And he was a great strategic planner and created this, in, you know, this amazing plan that took place. As much as I, you know, want to say that Talia came up with some of it, I don't believe that it did because she was too busy doing her own thing with the the whole Wayne board thing, which clearly was a was much a much longer game because she showed up at least three years ago in Gotham and was dealing with everything there, <clears throat> as far as trying to get Bruce to create the fusion reactor and things like that. I mean, she was there for a while, so I have a hard time believing that. She was going to, she she was telling Bane what to do all along. Um, so they were working together. Real quick, I was on, I was going to add though um, that like even if you want to have the idea that that he is her henchman, 
which is not, but like she just says, you know, let him live. I want to have him suffer if one die. The moment she walks out the door, he kind of just turns on. He's like, he's like, yeah, no, I'm killing you now <laughs> because he feels like it. So it's right, right immediately refuted that he only follows orders. He, he, has his own, he has his own goals that may or may not coincide with hers. All right, so then let's move into Anne Hathaway. My mother warned me about getting into cars with strange men. This isn't a car. Okay, Catwoman. I know it's not called Catwoman in the in the in the movie, but who cares? It's Catwoman. I thought she was my favorite part of the entire movie. She really was. I wasn't expecting her to be. You know, I, th- I thought she looked, she, was, she was fine. I mean, the costume was decent. You know, Anne Hathaway. I'm not seeing anything Anne Hathaway has been in. I'm not. I'm not seeing um, the Princess. Diaries. diaries, diaries, or um, you know, even the Princess Diaries too. But uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I heard she's a really good actress, so I was, I went, I went in with like no expectations because I, I just didn't know what to expect. And she, by far and away, from the moment she does the thing in the first scene where uh, Bruce does this whole Green Arrow impersonation, and like you know, she's kind of playing a scared maiden, and he says, "Well, you know, um, I know you stole from my impenetrable uh, safe." Give my pearls, give my mom's pearls back, and she kind of drops the ass. She's like, "Oops, I didn't know it was uncrackable." It's like, "Oh, this is so perfect." She was so. I mean, she was written well. She's probably the best um, written woman character in the series, to be honest. But like, she really was like just so fun to watch. Every scene she was in, I was paying attention, and even better were her scenes with with Christian Bale. Like, whether he was Bruce Wayne or whether he was Batman, I was having so much fun watching their relationship develop because some people. Uh, do kind of question their relationship by the end of the movie, but I find it I find it very natural. There was clearly a spark between them, and it wasn't as overt as a, you know how most Hollywood romances go. It was a lot more I don't know it was a lot more understated, and I just every time she was on screen, I just I just I always had a smile on my face. I thought in the third act when she was a little more emotional, saying you don't have to do this come with me, you know, don't, don't sacrifice yourself to these people. I just bought every line she gave, and she was great. She was, wow, awesome, awesome character. I would like to start out with, we finally had the shoes explained. We finally understand the point of the serrated edged heels. So I was happy with that. I was happy with the explanation there. Um, but like Donovan, she... She really brightened the movie for me because every scene that she was in, there was something that you were laughing or gasping about. And, and, and the way that she would just seamlessly transform from, you know, in the bar when she's cowering behind the table screaming to, oh, everybody's gone. OK, good. I'm out. Um, all of that. She just was played so well and and truly must have been written well because you really did get elements of the character that I wasn't that I was afraid we're going to be skipped out on. Um, like the fact that she's not really a, a bad guy. She's just someone who's in it for Catwoman. All she wanted was a clean start for her. And that's why she did whatever she felt she needed to do for it. Um, and I've seen Anne Hathaway transform herself into characters that are completely unrecognizable. And I think she did a great job here with Catwoman. I think, I think she was very lucky to be offered the role. Yeah, I have seen Princess Diaries. That was the first thing that she was in. And I've seen, you know, Brokeback Mountain, which I could never sort of get off of the, uh, I was just so blinded and 
I guess shattered. My dreams were shattered when I saw Princess Diaries half naked. But, um, you know, I was glad that for once, for once, we had a respectable Catwoman character. And for a Catwoman that has been dragged through the comics recently, it was great to see her back to this respectable um, character. Uh, yeah, character. Um I totally agree with Melinda. Just the way that, I mean, she's able to act um, and have sort of these dual identities where she's Catwoman. Oh, wait, she's a maid. Oh, wait, she's someone freaking out in a bar. Someone who, even though she is out for herself, that she doubts what she does sometimes and she feels sort of the moral implications. Like you could see the emotion on her face once Batman and Bane first get into it and she finds out that it was Bruce and she's, you can tell she's deeply regretting it. And I loved sort of the choice that she's given. Do I run, you know, from Gotham city or do I go back and help Batman? And I love that choice. And she ultimately makes the right choice in the end. Um, somebody asked me, you know, why did she kiss him the, the first time she kisses him? And I said, Oh, well that's when she picked his pocket. And I'm pretty sure that she probably picked Batman's pocket during that second kiss, but I can't prove it. <laughs> um, but no, it was great. It was great to see. I, I loved the end scene with her and Bruce and of course she was wearing um, Martha's pearls in the end as well and Anne Hathaway did an awesome awesome job. My favorite scene I have to say is when she was in the airport with um, Blake and Blake naively says we can protect you and she's like looking out the window and she rolls her eyes at Blake. That was my favorite scene just to like wordlessly say that you are an idiot. No one can protect me from Bane and ultimately Talia. Yeah, again, uh, she, she just like Tom already questioned as well, she pulled, uh, I guess, the, the Heath Ledger, you'd say here, uh, no one expected that from them type of thing. And, um, yeah, I really like the way they portrayed her, her interactions with her and Bruce, her and Batman, just the back and forth. Um, like you said, the, the scene in the bar, freaking out just to go like that, and then back out the door, freak out again, back to calm. Like, just, the, just in general, the way she acted, I, I, I enjoyed it. She was really good in this movie. Uh, much more than I anticipated, much better. I would say, um, well, there was a lot of people out there who thought that Anne Hathaway was not a good pick to be Catwoman. I was not one of those people. I thought she could do it because I've seen, I think, every movie she's ever been in, I think. Uh, Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure I've seen every movie she's ever been in as far as Princess Diaries, Havoc, uh, Brokeback Mountain, Alice in Wonderland... She's been in a number of other movies. I'm not going to list them all. But the point is, um, anybody out there who's seen the movie Havoc, um, if you haven't, go ahead and see it, and then you'll understand what I'm talking about. But she goes from doing The Princess Diaries 2 to doing Havoc, and that was like a complete change in basically her telling the world, listen, I'm not this little girl who's just going to be you know, a, you know, a Disney kid and basically just do these happy-go-lucky movies like certain actresses do. There's actresses out there who all they do is these happy-go-lucky romantic comedies or, uh, you know, it's inspirational films. Havoc is not a movie like that. And anybody out there who's seen Havoc knows exactly what I'm talking about. But that, knowing what she did from Princess Diaries to Havoc led me to believe there is no question in my mind that she could do an amazing job in... 
this movie taking over Catwoman because in Havoc she doesn't play like necessarily a bad girl. She plays a chick that's kind of in that gray area, just like Catwoman is. So because of that, I knew that she could do it. So I didn't doubt her. I also think she's extremely attractive, and a lot of people were like, she's not attractive enough to be Catwoman. What? Well, to me that didn't make any sense because Michelle Pfeiffer back in when in her heyday when Batman Returns came out wasn't the most attractive chick in the world either, but she was still attractive. So, I mean, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I didn't really understand that that thought that everybody was... Like, there was people out there saying that. But anyway, um, I think she did a great job. I think that she completely transitioned herself from any other character that she's ever done. She was snarky. She said, had remarkable comments to, you know, comebacks to Batman and things like that that were just great. And it was like classic Catwoman, which... Is to me is exactly what we wanted. We wanted the character the way we know the character from the comics and other interpretations of what we've seen, and that's what she gave us. She gave us a, a live action, real life in a certain degree version of this character that that we've known for all of these years, and I think she did a remarkable job. All right, so now we're going to move into some of the supporting characters or I should say less supporting characters compared to um, the, 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 main, the main characters. Um, so we're going to kind of do like a lightning round with uh, Michael King, Gary Oldman, and Morgan Freeman, the three um, supporters of Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, as I live and dream, these conversations used to end with an unusual request. I retired. Well, I'm sure he's in stuff anyway, just for old times' sake. What's it called? The Bat. And yes, Mr. Wayne, it does come in black. Not seriously, considering going back out there. The city is Okay. In that order, Alfred, Gordon, and Fox. Um, a lot like what I said before with Bale and, and Hathaway, I thought uh, Michael Caine's Alfred in this one was given a lot. He didn't. He was he was gone for like, I would say maybe I don't know seventy five percent of the movie, in the middle. But when he was on, he was on. If you know what I'm how, how I'm meaning that, like he was given a lot more emotional content to do. Um, and it's ironic because in the first couple of movies, he really was an enabler. He was always suggesting things to Batman. Oh, you should build this in the cave. We should order 10,000 of these cowls. You should, you should, you should take the, the Joker's crap, Batman's. But like here it was like, please give up. Please stop this. Give, your, get all, give up all your genius inventions to the cops and please find a girlfriend. Please. Um, but like, you know, the scene where he's like, okay, I'll give this to Fox, but after this, I'm done. You and I are through. And this is why, this is what Rachel said, uh, when she wrote the letter that I burned, like that was such a great scene. Um, and it, he and Bale were acting off each other so well, but like Alfred's emotions movie carried a lot of the emotional content. Cause he was so worried about basically his son, you know? And just, I mean, w- the first time we see him when he comes back at the end, um, He's just sobbing. He's just saying, I, I failed you. You trusted me, and I failed. And, like, I think it's a, a, a bit ambiguous if he's talking to, like, the Wayne's Graves or to Bruce or just all three in general because he's facing all three of them. But it's just, it's just such great stuff. It's just, I mean, he basically, his, basically mood, his basic mood in this is, you know, I want Batman to quit being Batman and stop. But so it's a very simple motivation, but the way it was portrayed was just absolutely brilliant. And I absolutely, I've absolutely loved him. Gordon, I thought was cool in this because 
to me, I mean, Gary Oldman was always the perfect Commissioner Gordon. But in this one, to me, he felt even more fully realized. A lot like how Bale's Batman was sort of fully realized. This is more of the um, older, gray Commissioner Gordon, who is completely and utterly head-over-heels trustworthy of Batman. Like, at this point, he doesn't even question him. He, uh, you know, after, after, after saving his son, of course, he's a bit more um, jaded. I don't want to say jaded, but he's a bit more... Um, uh, there's a bit more taken out of him because of the dent thing with uh, keeping the secrets. And you even see, like, like once uh, Bane blows the, the cover up and Blake kind of calls him on his crap, he's like, you know, like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, if you had to have a friend put his hand through so much filth that so your hands would stay clean. Like, he was so desperately willing to believe in Batman without, with, with, without a hesitation. That it was just so much enjoyment to see. I don't think he had as much, nearly as much to do with it as he did in The Dark Knight, but what he did was great. And obviously the, the last scene, well, not the last scene, but like one of the last scenes where Batman gives him the line, he realizes that Batman's Bruce Wayne. Um, I was talking to Josh, as I always do, about that, and he said that he rather that Gordon knew automatically who Batman was as opposed to being told. But I didn't, I didn't, it didn't bother me as much. I, I thought I liked the revelation and I liked the final thing where um, it was like, like Stella says, the ring composition where he says, uh, where Blake's like, don't, shouldn't people know who saved Gotham? They said, they already know. It was the Batman. And just his looks, his look of, you know, quiet resignation when they revealed the statue. It's just, there was a lot of really great acting with uh, Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon. Um, Lucius Fox, I think that throughout these movies, he's not been given all that much to do, but what he has been given has, has been entertaining enough. Um, I thought he had more to do in the last movie, too, but in this one, I, I just, it was just fun seeing him again. Uh, it was sort of like Batman Begins where he he almost, he almost enjoys uh, Bruce's crazy requests and just kind of like, you know, well, while you're here, let me show you this thing that, like, you didn't ask for, but I made it anyway. And, like, I mean, it was it was fun. It's always fun to see a guy on Batman's side. And um, I did like the the final scene where he says, I, I want to know if there's anything I could have done to save him. I thought that was really nice. So um, I thought all three actors did a fantastic job. Um, Alfred is the one who continually made me cry throughout the movie. So needless to say, I really loved his performance and I loved his motivation. And um, I love the idea that that he was recognizing, you know, this is someone that I've cared for since I first heard his cries echo through these halls. You know, he lost, he's lost a son just as much as, as Gotham is losing its hero. He's, he's losing so much more. So I like that they actually they showcase that. Um, and Commissioner Gordon, I think his dedication to the city really gets shown in the scene where he he's in front of Scarecrow and he says, Crane, you're nuts if you think that we are going to leave this city voluntarily. And so, you know, obviously he gets sentenced to death by exile. But but the fact that he's he's going to do it because he's not giving up on his city. He and Batman really mirror each other in that way. They never give up. They never stop. Um, and Fox, he was just, he was there and he was fun. And, and like everybody else in the movie, he just wanted Bruce to be happy. He was trying to set her, set him up with Miranda Tate while Alfred was trying to set him up with cat burglar. It was great. Um, I, I think uh, Alfred lost something for me in this movie. I think it was probably the least impressive and 
<laughs> I was just like, why Why is he even there? Sort of one. I, I, Alfred needs to be the strong counterpart uh, to be, always sort of being there for him um, and never, never losing him. And it just, he just sort of like broke down in this, in this particular movie. And I just didn't, I couldn't as much get into his character. And yeah, you sort of feel emotional at, um, at the very end, you know, that, he feels like he failed them, but again, he was the one that walked away, and I just thought that it was spiteful to bring up that whole um, Rachel thing. So I, I couldn't get into that character. I think he was the least well done out of all the minor characters. On the opposite end, Gary Oldman, I, I think this was the peak of his character. Yeah, he wasn't in as much, certainly. I mean, he was bedridden like poor Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead. But uh, it was, I mean... He really did sort of get to that, um, the gritty older commissioner. And it re- it reminded me um, when the congressman was saying that, you know, he was going to be forced into retirement. It reminded me of The Dark Knight Returns where he was going to be – he was going to have to be forced uh, into retirement and Yadel was going to have to to pick it up from there. But, gosh, an emotional role. Gary Oldman is wonderful in, in any role that he has. You know, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. There's like a little bit of that in there, a little bit of serious Black sort of thrown in there. And he's just sort of like that father figure that you can't help but fall in love with. So great role there. And uh, Morgan Freeman, I think he stayed consistently great and fun. Um, Lucius Fox throughout the entire the entire series. Uh, it was great that he was still having fun with, with the toys and everything. And, and you could see that he was heartbroken at the end as well. Um, but yeah, so, so two thumbs up for, um, for Lucius and the commish, but a thumb down for Alfred. Um, I, I like, again, I didn't have much to pick about this and just small things. Uh, I liked all three of them. It looks like, uh, Christopher Nolan gave them both gave them all a bigger thing to do because they all came to play because when they came into these films they were all three Oscar winners that legitimized basically Batman Begins when they were relaunching it and they all came to play ball through the first two and it looks like he in the third one he gave them all something big roles something to to pay that off for coming to play ball on these films as far as the uh, supporting characters go I thought Alfred was great Um, one thing that Stella mentioned earlier in the podcast was that she couldn't understand why Alfred would have walked away Alfred didn't walk away. Alfred was basically told by Bruce, get out, without being, without those exact words. Because Bruce sits there and after Alfred tells Bruce the, you know, reveals that secret letter that Rachel wrote him and that he destroyed, Bruce tells him, "You so you tell me this and you expect us to shake hands and go back to the way things were? And Alfred says, no, I, I understand that by telling you this, I cannot, I you know, I can't be here. I lost my job. <laughs> Yeah, and he and, and that's why Alfred didn't leave Bruce. It was Bruce basically said, "You're fired," and so that 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 aside, I th- thought Alfred was probably the most emotional character in the film, as far as you know, bringing Bruce to like a more reality sense. He really wanted Bruce to stop being a recluse in the beginning of the film. He then really wanted Bruce to realize what kind of threat he was really up against with Bane, which he didn't realize. And then later in the film, we see the reveal of the letter from the Dark Knight that uh, Alfred reveals to Bruce, and then he's basically fired. But then at the end of the film, Alfred legitimately thinks Bruce is dead and is bawling his eyes out and asking for forgiveness from the Wayne parents. 
And then then we get the, the nice little nod at the end where he gets his final wish with him seeing Bruce and Selena in Florence. So then put that aside. <clears throat> Gary Oldman. I thought Gary Oldman did a good job. There was a couple scenes that I it just came off kind of like chalky. The first scene we are introduced with John Blake and Oldman standing next to the uh, the, the the cracked up bat signal. He the way Oldman talked was just very odd, and I don't know why. I saw the I saw the clip before I actually saw the film because it was a clip that was revealed uh, on one of the late night shows. I believe it was Jimmy Kimmel, and I just thought to myself, "Wow, really, Gary Oldman? It sounds like he's like legitimately reading off cue cards that are standing behind the camera." And I know he didn't, but it just it didn't come across very well. So knowing that going into the movie, I was really thinking to myself, "I really hope he's not going to be like that the entire film." And he wasn't. He definitely didn't disappoint. It was just that one scene that kind of threw everything off for me. But uh, I thought overall they did a great job. Or overall he did a great job with all of the things he did have. Um, I There was one thing that I kind of wish that there was. You know, at the end of The Dark Knight, there was that scene where uh, Oldman says to Batman, he's like, listen, I have to save Harvey Dent. You can't go in there. We, You know, there's hostages and... And I have to save Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent is in there, and he's freaking out, like completely out of his mind, freaking out that Harvey Dent is going to die. And I was really looking for a scene like that in The Dark Knight Rises. I just I could not find one for Oldman. As far as Lucius Fox goes, he did a great job as well. Um, had a lot more material, I think, in this movie, and a lot more severity to his character because, it, you know, especially uh, the one thing that went through my mind was after Bane blows open uh, the applied sciences and all those tumblers are down inside of uh, the sewers, the first thing that came to my mind was as uh, as Bane is sitting up there uh, telling them he needs uh, some board members to go down into the sewers with him, I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap oh crap, what's going to happen here? And then all of a sudden these people are walking through and seeing all of the gadgets that Batman's walking around with, realizing they're from their corporation. But the weird thing was that it was never addressed. It was never, how does how does all this stuff exist? And it came from our facility, but we didn't know anything about it. And uh, it was just, to me, it was I think, thought it was kind of like a missed opportunity where they could have used Lucius Fox just a little bit more because they could have revealed that maybe he knew all along or he was working with Batman all along. And that could have been just a tad bit more interesting. But he did a great job with what he did have. And, uh, he, you know, these uh, <clears throat> Alfred was, was, I think, used a little bit less than the humor that he was used for the previous two films. And I think Lucius Fox kind of took over that role in this film. All right, so then we get down to the last two characters that we're going to cover, um, Miranda Tate and John Blake. Okay. <laughs> For some reason, I'm distracted. Um, well, Miranda Tate, there's not much to talk about that that character with that name because she was just basically a cover. She was literally, like, the entire time kind of Miss Goody Two-Shoes, who I didn't buy. Again, I didn't specifically think she's going to be tied up, but the whole time I knew that, like, she was just biding her time until the big reveal, just because of the way she was played. Um, I thought she was, she was fine. I thought Marianne Cotillard did it fine. I remember the first time that they did, the first time they did the tire reveal, as much as I enjoyed it from a comic fan's perspective, I did think it was a little bit too too out of nowhere of a switch in, in the movie's context. Um, and Part of me still kind of does. It's like kind of like, like, like kind of like a big twist that 
almost doesn't make sense. Although, I mean, it does, but, like, uh, it was a little too out of nowhere for me, just in terms of, like, watching the movie. Uh, the second time I saw it, um, there is there little hints of her identity throughout the movie, which is nice. Very subtle hints, like her saying, when Bruce kind of returns to Gotham and says, uh, you know, I'm sorry I can't take you out. She says, do what's necessary. Uh, she wants to bring balance back to things. Like, you know, she's very much, she's pretty much quoting Rachel Gould the whole time. And once she does the whole tide of turn, she is seething with evil. I mean, some people could say she's acting a little bit over the top, as she might. But, like, to me, her, her attitude is totally justified. And, like, that whole thing where uh, Dustin said she has the knife in Batman's side. <laughs> Christian Bale's funny look on his face when she's monologuing. It's really good. Like, like, and, like, when she's in the Tumblr, and she's like, kill them. Kill all of them. Like, she's really, really, like, this is, this is the Talia that, like, almost like the Talia from Batman Inc. number two. Um, so I thought she did great. Um, John Blake next. John Blake, uh, I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt did a very solid job. I, the thing with him was that, like, the entire time people were wondering, is he going to be Robin? Is he going to be Nightwing? And what that said to me was, is John Blake, this cop, going to become Robin or Nightwing? And I remember the entire time saying, no, that's stupid. That's a horrible idea. Why would they do that? Blasphemy trail but like um the way the character was written was it was just nice how like he he was just he, he just bought his earnestness he bought that he really 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 had faith in batman and wanted to do things right it was basically batman's kindred spirit in that kind of way um and the whole thing was brought together for me once they said he was robin because it wasn't that he became robin he was robin the entire time he kind of spiritually translated characteristics from i saw characteristics from like the three main robins dick jason and tim uh, he had like, a bit of Jason's anger when talking to Bruce about being an orphan. He was a cop like Dick. He was a bit of a detective like Tim, and his name kind of rhymes. And there was there, there was also just general just general scenes of him with Bruce talking about you know like why do you wear a mask? And later on when the, when the two fight, he says you know when you next time you're out alone you really should wear a mask. And like just kind of like you see. You see it building in his head, not necessarily to become a, a crime fighter or a vigilante or anything, but like you see them have a sort of relationship that, that Bruce and one of his partners would, which is really awesome. So, like, my immediate knee-jerk reaction when they said Robin literally was like, oh, man, you just did not do that. But immediately afterwards, I was like, you know what? This makes a lot of sense, and I'm very happy with it. And it was just fun to hear the name Robin said in these kinds of movies. So I, I really enjoyed his character as well. Um, Talia, well, Miranda Tate as Miranda Tate, I didn't overly enjoy her because, like Donovan said, she was very goody-two-shoes, and, and yeah, I guess she was playing a role, but I really enjoyed her when she switched over to Talia. I loved the psychotic rage in her eyes as she's sitting there just running her finger over the trigger of the bomb, just talking to Bruce casually and saying things like, innocent is a very strong word to throw around in Gotham. Because according to her, yeah, none of these people are, but she feels perfectly justified in killing all of them. Um, the one thing that I did not like about Marion Cotillard's performance was her death in the truck scene. I, it made me laugh every time, and I don't think that that is supposed to do that. Like I'm Don Golden style. Yeah, ex- oh, it was. It was. <laughs> um, but I, I just didn't enjoy her portrayal of that. Aside from that... No, her her flip between the two personalities was really great. Um, With John Blake, I truly did not enjoy 
the Robin portion. Um, not because I didn't want to see Robin in the film. I absolutely did. But when they revealed that John Blake was not his legal name, I was really hoping that what would happen was because of his father's gambling debts, he had gone under a different name and that his name was, you know, Richard Grayson or something like that. I thought that would have been, that would have made me happier for a reveal because I just, I felt like that one, that one did feel to me like a cheap, thrill for fanboys and fangirls but aside from that i thought joseph gordon levitt did a good job i liked the character of john blake i loved his you know his move from just being a beat cop to getting moved into a detective under gordon um and i really more than anything else loved his reaction when he ends up shooting the two witnesses at the crime scene he just looks at the gun and throws it away as if he's so disgusted with himself at what he's done um, I think that speaks well to a future member of the Bat family. Um, I do. I, I, I'm going to have to keep going back to this, but since Dustin kind of brought me out at, at the end of the other argument, I do have to say that he quit before he was shoved out, and I will still hold <laughs> against that. Like, this debate could go on forever, and we could have our own show on that, but we cannot. So, Miranda, Marion Cotillard is is wonderful. Uh, you know, she started off Lavia and Rose and, and won an Oscar for that. She's been in Public Enemies. She's been in... Um, Inception, sorry, I had to think of the Latin word first. Um, and then she was in uh, Midnight in Paris. And in each of those roles, she is sort of her own character. And she's one of the, you know, some people say that, like, Tom Cruise always plays Tom Cruise in whatever movie. But she is really able to to fit to whatever role. And she was Miranda Tate and this sort of lackluster character, but her role really came alive when she was Talia. And she did such a wonderful job. I think Bruce should have known something was up when he came into the window and noticed that Miranda had changed outfits into sort of a ceremonious garb. Um, well, Miranda, when did you have time to change? Uh, but, you know, I... I Miranda or Melinda brings up a good point with the whole death in the uh, the front of the cab situation because I still wonder how she died, but the commish who was in the back bouncing around with an atomic <laughs> bomb did not die. How does that make sense? Because he's Gordon. The he's awesome. science behind that. Um, but no, it was great. Um, one thing that was a little unbelievable was the love scene when they started kissing. I thought to myself, wait, what is going on right now? A friend of mine said, wait, did they just make Damien? And who knows? Maybe she's not dead. And yes, Damien is indeed inside, uh, inside of her. For Blake, I love how Blake grows from the beginning to the end, and he is very much a rookie. But you can tell, like, there's something different about him. He is really bright, but he grows and he learns a lot from what's going on, and and he is able to be his his own strong character. And it's great that he can relate to so many of the other characters, like Bruce, like the Commission, and everything. So great job. And what's funny is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was also in Havoc. Isn't that weird i love how there are sort of connections all around us but you know it this movie just had great casting and i think everyone always wonders how is everything going to come together and this movie came together with you know and, and the people the actors the characters are the the ones that made it come together 
Yeah, um, I wasn't a big fan of the, the John Blake character too much. I was going to complain about the, the Robin reveal at the end because Alex Stella was hoping it was going to be Dick Grayson, but after hearing Don Tucker, like it makes more sense him saying Robin and his role throughout the whole movie basically being a Robin role to Batman. Uh, that makes a lot more sense now, so my opinion changed right there. Um, the Miranda Tate, uh, Marion Cotillard thing, I kind of put that story to the side because of all the reveals before the movie, the spoilers. And seeing her on top of the tumbler and the tunic, I kind of knew what was going to come. I didn't know when or how, but I kind of knew it was coming. So I, the whole, every scene with her in, I was, again, waiting, like, okay, is she going to slip up? Is it going to be now? When, they, when is the beat going to hit? But, yeah. Um, All right, so Miranda Tate and John Blake. Um, first off, Miranda Tate, um, I, I honestly thought the the character was not very interesting and really just it felt like, way too forced on us through the first two acts and it wasn't until she became Tyle Gould until she, it was really, it, it became interesting. When she was just, you know, in general the uh, when she was just Miranda Tate, it just seemed like they were trying to push this character on us too hard she was involved in this nuclear project she ends up sleeping with Bruce Wayne it just seemed, seemed way too forced. But then when she became Talia she like everything worked perfectly. It's it's unfortunate that she couldn't have played Talia for the entire movie because I think she would have done a lot better job at just Talia. Um, as far as John Blake goes, I thought some of his stuff was kind of interesting. The first scene that well the the first time he talks to Bruce Wayne was kind of interesting, um, where he basically lays out exactly how he knows um, that Bruce Wayne is Batman as well as the time when he just happens to show up at the um, at the actual um, Wayne board, or Wayne Enterprises building, when uh, Bruce Wayne's car is getting impounded because he lost all this money. So because of that, um, I, I thought they had some great scenes. That final scene, I mean, it really has nothing to do with the John Blake. It was really just had to do with how they wrote the story, and how it, they wanted to end it with, you know, him leading on to become the next possible Batman or a hero in general, um, using the tools and resources that Bruce Wayne had. Um, I thought it was a great idea, um, but they were kind of aiming at it from the very beginning with the character. All right, and then just on an offhand note, some of the other characters that just popped up, we're not going to talk about them, but some of the other characters that popped up, Cillian Murphy popped up as uh, Jonathan Crane, and he was essentially a judge mm -hmm. um, for the uh, rich citizens of Gotham. Liam Neeson popped up during a hallucination and a uh, flashback, oh, yeah. um, as well as uh, a younger version of Ra's al Ghul. Josh Pence played him. Um, we also saw the, the mayor return from The Dark Knight. He returned. Um, we also saw, as we said, the Juno Temple... Uh, Juno Temple played a character named Jen, who essentially was the uh, Holly Robinson of this this franchise, I guess you could put it. Uh, Matthew Modine, who we've we interviewed on the Batman Universe interviews, um, he played the deputy commissioner and ends up giving his life. Um, that was pretty much a good chunk of the other characters. There, as far as um, any other cameos, there was uh, the United States Senator Patrick Leahy. Um, he had a cameo in The Dark Knight. He actually also had a, a cameo in The Dark Knight Rises. He played a uh, Wayne Enterprises board member. Um, also, uh, Thomas Lennon um, played a cameo as a doctor. 
uh, or had a cameo as a doctor in The Dark Knight Rises. He was actually a doctor in back in Nolan's second film, Memento. So uh, that's another another interesting little tidbit. All right. So overall. Um, thoughts on the movie we've, we've talked about a lot of this but overall I want one really good thing you liked about the movie and one really bad thing you didn't like about the movie give the bad first and then the good last let's put me on the spot uh, okay bad I don't want to say bad because I don't think it was really anything bad but like a, a kind of a weak part of sort of a failing of it I do think generally um I think it might have been a little too... I'm not sure. The, the, the time I think this still kind of bothered me because I think it, it is sort of like kind of a little too convenient at the end. It makes sense for the story, but I think that could have been done a little bit better. And I think just uh, as an over-encompassing uh, umbrella, uh, some of the writing around a, a little bit around is a little... It's not as crisp as the first two movies were. Um, just, just in certain spots, I'm not, it's kind of hard to exactly pin down what... It's, it's, still, it's still very, very good, but like... I think I think it, uh, it could have been a little, little bit uh, better, but uh, the best part of the movie for me, I would say, is just um, possibly the ending, because uh, like everyone, I mean, the entire point of us us fans watching the movie was to watch the third the third act, and just just the ending and you know how Batman became legend that he was going to be from Batman Begins, and you know like, yeah the revelation of you know uh, like, like Robin being said him being I like, kind of being coming on to like possibly be the next crime fighter you have the bat, bat signal reinstated alfred gets his wish bruce wayne i guess a happy ending that was oh man that was, that was <laughs> it was just very satisfactory it was it, like the way the series ended was excellent it's one of the best endings to a series movie series ever um i know we didn't discuss it but for me the worst part was the treatment of foley's character he got a hero's death when in my opinion through the rest of the movie, he did nothing to indicate that he deserved it. Showing up once you've got the force of an army behind you, even if you know you're marching into death, to me doesn't say, I'm a hero. Um, the best part, like Donovan said, probably was the ending. Um, the conclusion that it gave us, the the note that it ended on, I think, was was probably the best that we could have hoped for. Um, the worst, I don't know, that's really a, a tough question. I think the begin setting it up and taking so long to set up was an issue for me. The second time I saw it, I still had this weird feeling during the first scene with the CIA agent, and just that guy, I feel like they needed to either rewrite his character or figure something out about the actor, because that just seemed really not well done. Um, I loved seeing the return of the uh, the superfood juice, though, sort of the protein mix that Bruce likes to drink in Batman Begins. Yes, the ending, it ties up everything, and unlike Breaking Dawn, uh, it ties it up Whoa. in a way... <laughs> My God. It ties it up in a way that you are satisfied and it's not rushed. And it brings happy and light and warm feelings to you. Yes. Um, the worst part for me would probably be uh, the outfit, the one part of the outfit speech when he's talking about the cafe, just because you knew it was telegraphing something was going to happen later. But then I, I like that. I guess I like that at the end, though, when that actually did happen, because they gave Batman like a happy ending. Like he ended it finally. 
and I see the complaints people about that, but I always figure these movies are basically like Elseworlds stories or, you know what I mean, Earth Ones or something. Like, they, they don't have to end the way the books end, and I really, like, I, I guess so that was my, my worst and my best both in one. <laughs> my, uh, my, the, the, the worst moment of the film, I think, would have to be the fact um, when... It, it was really just the. Uh, this is going to sound like really kind of nitpicky and stupid, but I just could not wrap my head around how easily Bruce Wayne slept with Miranda Tate. I just found that way too odd, especially since he was he was like flirting up Selena Kyle, you know that's you know the day before. And it just seemed really odd that I think I can explain that, that. was happening. Um, it's my easier pain. Um, I, at the time, it didn't make sense that she would do that, although it makes sense later on when she's Talia. But, like, for Bruce, he was at rock bottom. Um, you know, he lost Alfred. You know, he was just feeling physically low. He just came back from, you know, having his money taken out, kicked out of Wayne Enterprises. And he's looking at Rachel and feeling very, very sentimental. And you see Talia playing on that. So while it was a little odder in the scene at the time, it makes sense for Bruce because he has he feels like he has nobody. This is somebody he can kind of turn into. I, I mean, to, it makes sense for him to do yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, you're you're right, and I think that that does help a little bit, and it's probably still the worst moment, but nonetheless, <laughs> it does help. It makes a little bit more sense. Um, the best moment had to be, in fact, the ending. There was the the ending could not have been any more perfect. I mean, like I said, I walked out of the theater with the biggest smile on my face, like I was a little kid again, and. That doesn't, like I said, that doesn't come very often, and I was extremely pleased by it. Yes, they took liberties throughout the film. Yes, they decided to change certain things, and yes, there was there was you know little errors here and there. But the overall movie and the ending was fantastic, and left me feeling as if you know this is a sense of completion as far as uh, what what Nolan has done. Also, it led me to, to to only hope that the next time they bring Batman to the film or to, to film, they can actually make sure that uh, they can do something as good, if not better, than what Chris Nolan has done. And it sets the, the bar pretty high up uh, for Warner Brothers to find a director to do something even better than what Nolan has done. I have a quick question. Um, in regard to the, the Cillian Murphy scarecrow um, little appearance there, I wondered if originally, and I've said this to people before, and they sort of like throw it away and like a dumb comment, but do you think originally it was Joker um, that was at the seat of this that would be really ironic? And that was something that happened in Batman the Animated Series where sort of all the rogues put Batman on trial and Joker was the judge. Do you think that was possible? I I think it could be possible, but I don't think it's possible for what Nolan did because by what I've read, Nolan, did ne- Nolan didn't even start uh, coming up with the idea for the story until December of 2008, which was almost a year after Heath Ledger died, so I doubt that the intent was ever to include Joker when they were going through and writing the film. Now, as a side note, there was in the actual official novelization yeah. of the film, there was a there was a little bit of a mention of the Joker during the scene when Bane is breaking the inmates out of Blackie Penitentiary. No, that's not right. That's a different thing. Well, they said what they said was uh, he was the only remaining inmate left in Arkham Asylum. That's right. Okay, I'm getting confused because I saw something else that said where he could have popped up in The Dark Knight Rises. But anyway, 
in the actual novelization of the of the film, there was a little bit of a mention of the Joker. Not the Joker appears or anything like that. They just mentioned that Joker is not is isn't the, is not at Blackgate Penitentiary and could in fact be the only remaining member at Arkham Asylum. Um, I also saw another thing that said that they there was a, there was a possibility of an idea of where they could have popped him in. No, I'm sure this had nothing to do with the actual filmmakers who, who, who this, where this idea came from. But there was an idea where um, when Bane is breaking out the people from Blackheath Penitentiary, all of, those, uh, all of the cells open up and the people start walking out. And there's one cell that remains closed and that's the cell that actually houses the Joker. That was another possibility that they could have done too. But I don't think anybody connected to um, the actual project as far as the cast and crew had any intention of bringing the Joker into this at all. Um, now that's not to say that maybe they didn't intend on the Joker being in it when they were think- when they were doing the second movie. Um, maybe they had an idea of how they could you know bring him in because Chris Nolan does bring elements from his previous film into the film. He did it with uh, he did it from Batman Begins to the Dark Knight and then Dark Knight back to Batman Begins and he did it with Dark Knight Rises back to both of the previous films. So it could have happened if things turned out differently, but we may never know, and it really doesn't make that big of a difference. We're still texting me that in the theater, and I had not gotten to that scene yet. So I'm like, what are you talking about? What? I did not. Yeah, you did. Like when. Uh, oh, well, said- I didn't expect you to be looking at your cell phone. I already warned you about that. It's still your fault. <laughs> All right. uh-huh. I blame you still alone. You, you, All right, so, okay. Sorry. All right, so that is everything for our Dark Knight Rises special. Now, obviously, the film is still in theaters, so please go out there and see it some more. Uh, get this film to be, you know, up there as far as box office takes, because uh, unfortunately, the the events that occurred the weekend, the opening weekend, prevented it from uh, beating the all-time uh, opening box office record. But um, it still has the possibility of making a lot more money because it's still going to be in theaters and IMAX screens for at least probably another two months, I would say. Um, because once September rolls around, there's nothing. So there's 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 bankable on keeping Batman in the theaters. That put aside, um, this that is everything for this episode. Also, keep in mind that uh, as soon as the movie gets released, which we don't have an actual release date for the Blu-ray and DVD, it seems a little premature to be announcing that from Warner Brothers at this point, but uh, we can expect it sometime in December probably the second week of December leading into Christmas. That being said, once that does come out, we will be doing a commentary for the film and releasing that on the Batman Universe commentaries. And also check out the Batman Universe commentaries very soon for some other commentaries for some previous animated films as well. Um, That is everything for this episode. I know I already said that, but that really is everything. So I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to Batman from everything from movie to merchandise to video games to the comics. Um, Everything is updated uh, regularly, and uh, we are going to make an extensive effort to get a lot more editorials out there for you guys to check out as well, since a lot of the news related to the movie has now died down. So we're going to try to give you some more original material to read instead of just news. You can check out all of our other podcasts. They can all be found on our website. You can... Head over to uh, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube and follow us on all of those. Uh, there's links on all of those at the top of the website. 
You can always email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns, or ideas for future episodes. Those are always greatly appreciated, as well as the reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Melinda. This is Stella. This is Sean. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Specials, The Dark Knight Rises. See you guys next time. Where's the trigger? (laughs) I can't even follow that. I love that line so much. Burritos. (laughs) 